Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. One of the big problems that we seem to always face as Christians is the problem of not really living out what we believe. And the problem with that is that people looking on don't always see something that's compelling that would draw them in the direction of the Lord. And that shouldn't be the case. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, in a message titled, Walking Worthy of the Calling. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, here we are, coming now to the second portion of the epistle, the second section, where Paul now transitions from having been telling us all about what God has done for us to bring us now to the place of personal application. And as I pointed out before, this is the way the scriptures always lay it out for us. It's always primarily concerned with letting us know who God is and what he's done. And then we come to the place where we are responding. We are responding to his love. We're responding to his grace. So in the first three chapters of Ephesians, as I've mentioned many times before, it's there that Paul has been doing nothing less than expounding to us the love and the grace of God. You notice as we've gone through these first three chapters, there's, there's not been a place yet at this point where we've been instructed to really do anything. It's, it's more like uh, we've just been instructed to sit and listen and soak it in and understand what God has done for us. And now we come to the place where we're going to personally begin to apply it. But let me remind you before we move into that, let me remind you of some of the things that we have been told in going through these first three chapters, beginning with the fact that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That's where Paul really starts the epistle, reminding us that God has blessed us immensely. He's done everything for us that needs to be done in order to ultimately secure our place with him eternally. He has chosen us in Christ before time began. He's chosen us to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he's predestined us to adoption as his children. He's redeemed us from captivity to sin, and he's done this with his own blood. He's provided forgiveness for all of our transgressions. He's made known to us the mystery of his will, so we know God's will, we know the future, we know where things are headed because he's made that known to us. He's given us an eternal inheritance and he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the day when he brings all of this to fruition. Seal us with the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. Now, Paul goes on to tell us 
that he's done all of this by his mercy and grace, which he lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. So this has all been done for us uh, by God. And he's done it not because we deserved it. He's done it simply out of the resources of his mercy. He's taken us who were strangers and foreigners, and he's made us fellow citizens with the saints and members of his family. So we're members of the family of God. We have uh, this wonderful access to him. We can come to God at any time. We have access with boldness. And we are filled with his spirit. We're actually the dwelling place of God. God resides within us as his people collectively. And he's promised that he's able to do and doing infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. So this is just a quick summary of all of the blessings that have been laid out for us in these first three chapters. So since God's done all of this, and and when we come to the first verse here of chapter four, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you, Paul says. So when he says, therefore, he's connecting us back to everything that he's been saying. So in other words, because of all these things, this is how we are now to Respond, And like I said, this is the way that God has always presented it. First, what he's done, and then what we do in response. Uh, many years ago, a portrait was painted, and it's the portrait, maybe you've seen it, maybe you've heard about it. It's a portrait of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. And the inscription underneath is, All this I did for thee, what doest thou for me? And that's it. That's really the way Paul is appealing to us here. All of this God has done for you. Now, this is your proper response. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, you remember he's calling us there. It's kind of a similar thing. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, he says, which is your reasonable service. And there he's pleading based on the mercies of God, based upon all the mercy that God's shown to us. Our reasonable response to his mercy is to present ourselves entirely to him. Paul's essentially saying the same thing right here in Ephesians chapter 4. So as we move into the fourth chapter and into the practical section of the epistle, Paul is going to deal with two areas. He's going to emphasize in this section, talking about our walk or our, uh, our way of life, he's going to deal with unity and with holiness. So these are the two fundamental features of a life worthy of, of the church's calling. Unity and holiness. In this fourth chapter, verses 1 through 16, he deals with the subject of unity. And then in verse 17 of chapter 4, on through the 21st verse of chapter 5, he's going to deal at length with the subject of holiness or godly living. And so we will 
We'll look at those things in detail over the next several weeks, but I want to focus today on just this exhortation here in verse one, to walk worthy of the calling. One of the big problems that we seem to always face as Christians is the problem of not really living out what we believe. And the problem with that is that people looking on don't always see something that's persuasive or something that's compelling coming from us that would, that would draw them in the direction of the Lord. And, and that shouldn't be the case. We have been called with this amazing calling, but Paul is saying it's important that we walk worthy of that calling. So what I want to do is I want to look at the calling itself, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling. Now, many places in Scripture speak to us about our calling or what, what it is that we, we are called to as God's people. And I want to begin with quoting to you from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where we read this, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So when we think of our calling, the first thing I want you to think of is our calling as the children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. Sometimes you hear religious people speaking about uh, God's uh, universal fatherhood. The idea being that God is, God is the father of everybody who is religious. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible teaches that God is not the father of everyone. God is the father uniquely of Jesus Christ and then he's the father of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But apart from Christ, a person cannot be in that relationship with God. We are all the, the creation of God, but we have to become his children through faith. Now, John is marveling. He says, behold, what manner of love. Look at the kind of love that the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. That we who formally, and this is everything Paul talked about in the second chapter of Ephesians, we who formally were rebellious and wicked and uh, opposed to God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, remember. We were walking according to the course of this world. We were in league with uh, the prince of the power of the air. But we have become the children of God. Oh, what amazing love. That's really what John would be saying here. So this is what we've been called to. This is the first thing that I want you to consider. We've been called into this relationship where God is our father. We are now the children of God. And as God's children, there are a couple of things to think about. First of all, as God's children, we ought to, as good children would do, we ought to honor and respect him. That, that's the mark of a, of a child who's behaving properly. And of course, as the children of God, we would think that behaving properly would be a normal thing. So what does that look like? It looks like honor and respect for God. 
So we honor God by submitting to him. We honor him by being obedient to his word. We show respect for him by taking his demonstration of love for us seriously and responding to it in the, the appropriate manner. So that's where we start as children, honoring and respecting our father. But then there's also this aspect of being a child of God where there's going to be a resemblance between us and our father. There's a connection. Now, we know, of course, this is true on the natural level. You are the byproduct of your parents' union. And so our children are, uh, you know, genetically connected to us. And, and what do we see with that? There's, there's a resemblance there, isn't there? Sometimes when I'm looking in the mirror, my mother is staring back at me. Uh, other times my dad's staring back at me. I can see both of my parents in, in me. Uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I maybe look more like my dad at times or wh whatever, but I can, I can see that resemblance. My seven-year-old grandson, Ryder, he's, uh, he uncannily looks like me. And um, so much so that people have just seen him, not knowing who he was, but looking at him saying, that kid's got to be related to Pastor Brian because he looks so much like him. My wife, the other day when we were traveling, we, he was in the children's ministry. She was looking for him. And so she went to see if she could find him and he, he wasn't there. So she said to the lady that was working there, she said, have you seen my grandson Ryder? And the lady said, well, I, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he looks like. And she said, oh, he just looks like a miniature Brian walking around. <laughs> she said, oh, I just saw him a minute ago. I saw this little kid that looked like Pastor Brian walking by. It's such a funny thing, because when you tell him he looks like me, he's like, I don't look like you. You're old. <laughs> he's right about that. But you know what I'm talking about. So in this realm that we're referring to here, the spiritual realm, there would be the expectation that if we are the children of God, there's going to be some resemblance between us and our father, right? There are going to be certain traits and characteristics that people are going to see in us that are a reflection of our Father. So thinking about walking worthy as the children of God, those similarities are going to be the things that people are going to see that will identify us as God's children, walking worthy of that privilege of being his children. Now, beside being the children of God, secondly, we are called saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he speaks to them as those who are called. And if you read it in your English translation, most of them will say called to be saints. But if you notice, the to be, the two words are italicized, which means they're not there in the original. So what Paul actually says is to the Corinthians who are called saints. And that's true. You see, we're not called to be saints. We are called saints. God is the one who makes us a saint. Now, we could rightfully say we should behave like saints, but our behavior doesn't make us a saint. 
We are saints by virtue of something God has done. The word means the separated ones, or ones who have been set apart. And so what God has done for us is he has, first of all, set us apart from sin. When you become a child of God, part of what happens is God, he removes you from that bondage to sin. Now, it doesn't mean that you never sin again. It just means that sin no longer has the dominion over you that it previously had. It's no longer the rule of your life as it previously was. And that's something that God does. We know that. Anyone who has been genuinely saved knows that sin no longer has the same effect on them that it previously did. That's because of this work of setting us apart or sanctifying us is another uh, way to describe it. So we're set apart from sin, but we're also set apart to God. So you see, in being a saint, it's not simply that I'm set apart from sin. It is that, but I'm also set apart to God, to his glory. My life is now set apart for the glory of God set apart for his will. I'm no longer living to accomplish my will, but now I'm seeking to do the will of God. And I'm no longer primarily concerned about uh, fulfilling what I perceive to be my purpose in life, but I'm more concerned about the purposes of God. So this is what happens. We are called saints. It was a sad day in the history of the church when somebody came up with the, the wrong idea that a saint was an extraordinarily holy Christian. And then that idea perpetuated itself. It was passed down from generation to generation. So even today, even sometimes those of us who have been biblically instructed, we still sometimes find ourselves thinking of saints as some especially holy group of Christian people. No, everybody who is a Christian is a saint. And so you can refer to yourself uh, as saint whoever. That's who you are. It's something that God has done. So this is part of our calling. We're called saints. Thirdly, we're called servants. We're called the servants of the Lord. And that is a privileged position. To be a servant of God. What a wonderful thing. Now, for many people, thinking of being a servant of anybody, that doesn't sound all that attractive. It really depends on who you're serving, who your master is. And of course, our master is the Lord, the great, the awesome God. So what a privilege to be a servant of the Lord. It's a a high privilege. And we take our place as the servants of the Lord alongside of people like Abraham. Abraham was the Lord's servant. Or Moses. And Moses, you find so many times in those early books of the Bible, Genesis through... um, well, in, in this case, Exodus through Deuteronomy, so many times where God refers specifically to Moses, my servant, my servant Moses. So uh, a, a position of honor. David would be another example. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she referred to herself as the handmaiden of the Lord, or that's a, another term for a servant of the Lord. 
You think of the apostles. The apostles, when they wrote these letters that we're studying, this one here, they would often, almost always, as a matter of fact, refer to themselves as God's servants. But this title, the servant of the Lord, is used specifically for Jesus himself. Behold my servant, the prophet Isaiah said in speaking of Christ. Behold my servant. And Isaiah said that in the 42nd chapter. Isaiah said that in the 53rd chapter, speaking of Jesus. And uh, Mark's entire gospel sort of focuses on Jesus as the servant of the Lord. So here we are. We have been called to be God's servants. And so like Abraham and Moses and David and Mary and the apostles and like Jesus himself, there's something to being a servant of God. It's a position of privilege. It's a position of honor to be the Lord's servant. But then there's one other that I'll mention here. And that is, we have been called friends. Abraham was known as the friend of God. That, that's how he was distinguished. Abraham, my friend, God said about him. Think about how amazing that is. God would say about you, whatever your name is, so-and-so, my friend, so-and-so. That's what God has called us to. He's called us into a friendship. Abraham was a friend of God, but Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I call you friends. I call you friends, he said, because all that the Father has revealed to me, I have made it known to you. Jesus told them intimate kinds of things about himself, about his relationship with the Father. He let them in on these family secrets, if you will. And see, that's a mark of friendship. And so we are also in a position where we share that kind of intimacy, where we have that kind of uh, relationship with God. You know, it's amazing if you think about it that you can have a friendship with God, with God, a friendship, where there's mutual communication, where there's mutual affection being exchanged, where you can actually have an experience of saying things like, you know, the Lord spoke to me. Or you can say, well, you know, I was talking to the Lord the other day. Now, some people think you're out of your mind. You talk like that. What? You, you were talking to God or even more crazy? You, you think God was talking to you? Well, it does sound crazy, but it's true. God talks to us. And you would expect him to if we're his friends, right? Well, that's what he does. And we can have these conversations. It's, it's just so astounding to think that... Uh, you know, you can open your eyes in the morning and just strike up a conversation with the Lord. And he responds. I try to have a regular prayer time pretty consistently, and I mostly do my focused prayer time when I'm doing my running because I'm able to concentrate there without distraction. But, you know, much of my run is just a conversation with the Lord. Now, a lot of times I'm doing most of the talking for sure. Uh, but... It's amazing how 
the Lord will chime in. He will speak to me. For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.